All right, we're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. The bunting decision looms. Game five looms for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oilers taking control again versus the LA Kings. Dallas back out in front in their series versus Minnesota. Things are happening. Carolina couldn't get it done last night. We'll talk about that, and of course, we'll hit on the Maple Leafs with our next guest, Matt Marchese, producer of the Jeff Merrick Show, and of course, a host here at Sportsnet 590, The Fan. What's going on, Matty? How are you guys this morning? Uh, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> doing pretty good. I mean, Ailish had quite the adventure. <laughs> I was going to say. I, I don't know if you're like into her, you know, her Instagram feed, the Twitter feeds, but she had quite the night. Ten loony dogs went down, and she's frankly kind of thriving. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty surprising. <laughs> Ailish, I'm proud of you. Thank like, you. Like, that is, that is a hell of a feat. I am very proud of you for Thank that you because so there are so many people that are like, oh, you know, I'm just going to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a couple. I know why you had ten. Um, but I'm in, I, people should be doing that more often. Maybe not 10, but have a bunch of hot dogs. Let's get this number up. You know what? Let's have fun. Sports are about yes. fun. Yes. The show fun. Like you should like everyone takes life fun a little less and seriously. Stomach aches. No, I, I, no, I give her credit, Maddie though, because, because a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people are like, Oh, I'm going to crush hot dogs. I'm going to see how many. And then, yeah, they stop at one and a half. And Ailish goes out there, and she does what she says she's going to do, and she houses 10. Uh, it is very, very I, impressive. I bet she wished she had one and a half after yeah, having 10, though. Do. <laughs> I definitely, definitely do. Um, all right, so I, I came up big in the moment. I didn't shy away from it. Uh, Sheldon Keefe's got the same opportunity today to, to either put Michael Bunting on a top six roll, throw him on the fourth line, or just kind of come out and say, he ain't making the cut. Uh, Michael Bunting decision in or out? We'll start with that. And then if so, where the puzzle pieces fall. So the way I kind of look at it is this. And it's not its not a, an indictment on Michael Bunting's talent level because he I think he's more talented than some of the guys on the roster that will be playing in game five. But I just don't know how you can change a winning roster. They went out. They beat Tampa Bay three times in a row. Two of them happened to be on the road. And I look at this and say, I just don't want to mess with the chemistry. Um, if if they happen, uh, and I'm, I'm going to knock on wood here. I hope everybody can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if they somehow lose in game five, then I think that opens the door for an opportunity for Michael Bunting to, you know, maybe take up a spot of a guy like Zach Aston Reese. Because I, I don't really want to move Sam Lafferty out of the lineup either because I think his his speed is something that they really need, especially because... They don't look super fast in this series, but I think Zach Aston Reese is the only guy that can come out of the lineup and Michael Bunting's not getting a whole heck of a lot of playing time if he does get reinserted. So is there a little bit of like a a juju that you don't want to mess with? Like I I know superstition is like, okay, shouldn't be a legitimate reason behind not mixing up a lineup, but there's got to be a little bit of a factor of that. Things are working. The locker room has been vibing. Clearly they've won three games in a row and some of them against all odds as well. Um, How much do you put in just like don't fix what's not broken, even though it hasn't been, you know, the most prolific of games? Uh, so I am of the Michael Scott opinion yes. that I'm not superstitious, but I'm just a little stitious. Uh, I, when I played, I was very superstitious, but mm-hmm. I've kind of, I've walked away from that a little bit, but I, my thing is just, they're really going right now. The offense has been, has been good defensively. I think they've been, they've been pretty good. Um, yes, they're still allowing more goals than you'd probably like, but the situation is that I don't think you ever change a winning lineup unless it's like if Austin Matthews is coming back or Tavares or any of right. those 
core guys, if they're being reinserted back into the lineup, then you're like, okay, that makes sense. But it's Michael Bunting. Like, we're, I'm not, and it's, again, it's not an indictment on his talent. I just think that the way that they're playing right now, and I think the way the lines have kind of moved into where they are with, you know, Nye's, I guess he's going to be playing in a top six role going forward. I mean, and if he's not, it's fine because he's been okay. He's been okay. He's been really good with O'Reilly and with Achari. So I just don't know where the fit is. Like, if you're okay with Michael Bunting playing on the fourth line, to me, that's the only place that he does fit unless you're flipping him with Kerfoot. And, and again, I just don't think that that's going to happen right now. Do you worry that he's not the right fit for that fourth line, though, that you're going to be putting him in a position where he's not playing the role that Michael Bunting thrives in? He might be playing tight as well. Tampa might be, like, trying to target him to get him, you know, in the muck that the Maple Leafs have been able to tame as well. Like, is a Michael Bunting in the fourth line the most productive decision, nonetheless, even just with the other factors eliminated? I think it is because there's a couple of ways to look at it. One, he can be a a, a sort of physical presence. He's a pain to play against. Hmm. Um, But you're also limiting his ice time playing on on the fourth line. And I think in this series, you talked about it, Ailish, bringing, they don't want to get brought into the muck of this series. And the one thing that Michael Bunting is, well, we've seen it in this series. He can take stupid penalties. And if you could limit his ice and you take away the opportunity to take those stupid penalties, I think there's a valuable player in there. I think that he's, he can be just as physical as a guy like Zach Aston Reese, and he's got more scoring potential. So I don't hate bringing him into the lineup, and I, and I would look to limiting his ice time because, let's face it, he's not the same offensive player as Matthew Nyes has shown he can be, or at least the same impactful player. Michael Bunting does take penalties. He does cause problems for the other team. But I think in the perfect world, Michael Bunting is playing like 10 minutes a night. Yeah, I think the retribution angle is an interesting one because Michael Bunting and the Leafs just in generally don't really deal well with like a hot-headed opponent. Like when things get really nasty, I think that's when the Maple Leafs kind of get away from their game, whether they're just like consciously trying to deal with it or not. It's been something that's helped level the playing field against, you know, the Winnipeg Jets in the past, other teams that have stepped up physically when something really nasty is going on. Sometimes the Maple Leafs look a little bit lost and just kind of keep that retribution Distribution thing that subplot away from game five it might be the best way to proceed uh but that's sheldon keeps decision and when we see the practice lines today uh we'll get a pretty good idea of where he's leaning okay so in this series leafs are up three one uh if you look at the run of play if you look at the balance of the action so far maybe it should be two two but it's three one uh and the leafs are in a really really good spot here to finally get over the hump But we've been talking about, okay, what do they need? What's got to be different? Do we have to see growth? Or can the Maple Leafs lean on maybe the Lightning just not being as good? I think that the latter part of that question, the Lightning are as good. They're a really good team still. Maybe Andre Vasilevsky's fading a little bit. But this team is still very, very good and an immense challenge for everyone. So it does come down to growth. And I wonder when it comes to growth, in which ways have you seen the Maple Leafs improve in these playoffs through four games so far? I think the biggest thing for them is that they're just not getting pushed around anymore. And I, and I, in years past this series, the way that it has gone, like it would be three, one Tampa in all likelihood. Cause Tampa had a stinker in game two. Now did the Leafs not play well? And they did no. the Leafs played really well in game two. That was their best game of the series, but in games three and four, Tampa did try to impose their will. They even tried to do it at the end of game two. And I think that's been, 
the most frustrating thing for Tampa Bay is that they've been able to get away with that in the past. And Toronto's just not built like that. Like, do they have super heavyweights on their team? No. But you can make the, the argument that they haven't, they haven't had players like Luke Shen. They haven't had players like Nolachari, Ryan O'Reilly. You could throw Sam Lafferty in the mix, Jake McCabe, in years previous where they were getting pushed around. And I think that's the part that, when I look at how different this team is, I think that's been the most important part. They haven't backed down when Tampa has has tried to throw everything at them. Like, they have made Patrick Maroon completely and utterly irrelevant. Patrick Maroon just looks like a guy that doesn't skate well in the NHL. He hasn't really been effective. After the first two games, they've kind of settled Corey Perry down a little bit as well. And I think just negating those players so that they are not even a talking point, whereas last year, all we talked about was, oh, Tampa Bay's fourth line. Well, you should never talk about anybody's fourth line in the playoffs because your stars should be the one carrying you. It should never be about that. But it was about that last year. So I look at this series, this series and say, hey, the Leafs have managed the lightning physically the stars have been the stars and i think that's why we are where we are right now have they gotten a few lucky bounces the leafs sure but that's what you need along the way like you know elliot said this yesterday on the merrick show he says you're not gonna have 16 picassos en route to a stanley cup like there's gonna be some games in there that you didn't deserve to win and i think the maturity of this group is that be even being down four one, they figure, you know what? This thing isn't over yet. Whereas I feel like in years past, their confidence at down four one would have been shot. And they would have said, you know what? There there's another game here. We're going to go back home with a split and we're fine with that. So as I watch this series, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to pick up on, or at least this is my theory that, you know, the weaknesses of both teams are the blue lines and they're both being challenged in different ways. I think what the lightning are doing in the neutral zone has put a lot of pressure on the Maple Leafs defense core. And really the only ones managing it right now are Morgan Riley and Luke Shen. And that might be matchup dependent, right? Like I think Brody McCabe, uh, Justin Hall and Mark Giordano are, are, you know, there, there's a lot of pressure on them. There's a lot of pressure externally and internally because I think the Lightning are doing a really good job from a forward perspective in those matchups. But I think the thing that actually has resulted in, you know, or been more of a detriment in the series has been the performance of the Lightning blue line. I mean, Victor Hedman comes in and all of a sudden he's a rock star and you can't get anything against him. But the ways that the Maple Leafs have scored goals is just winning battles out front, tipping pucks in, and screening goaltenders. And I think if there's a big difference with the Lightning Blue Line, with a Ryan McDonough gone, with a Chernak out, is that clearing the front of the net has been an issue. So I think the attritive aspect of the series maybe is focused mostly on the Blue Lines. And if you look at the Blue Lines, how do you evaluate the performances of each? And I guess on a more specific granular level, how do you sort of make sense of the Brody McCabe struggles. Yeah, it's it almost and and they're not they're not bad skaters by any stretch of the imagination, but the game does look a little fast for them right now. Like I I think TJ Brody has had this has probably been one of his worst stretches as a Maple Leaf. And that's been right from the get-go. I, I didn't think he was he wasn't good in game one. I didn't think he was great in game two. I just I think he's really kind of struggled. And and I don't know I don't know if it's the pair specifically that's not working. Like maybe there maybe there needs to be a move to to split those guys up. Like you're not you're not doing it now, but they just kind of look like they're a step behind. And even some of the the decisions that they've made with the puck have been very 
bizarre, especially for for TJ Brody, who we have a, a big sample size as a Maple Leaf to watch him. And so that's been kind of surprising. And, and it may be just the matchup. Some guys just don't play well against certain teams, and, and that may, may very well be the case. In Jake McCabe's case, I look at him and say, this guy just takes too many penalties. I love how physical he is. Don't get me wrong. But it feels like every time there's a scrum and Jake McCabe is involved, he's getting the extra two. And I feel like that's just kind of getting him out of a rhythm a little bit. I, I think that this he's been great physically, but he does find himself kind of out of position a lot. And, and I think that's part of the issue here. You're right though. The Riley and Shen pair has been really good. Actually. I remember having the conversation with you, Justin, uh, at trade deadline day, figuring out who the heck is going to play with Morgan Riley here. And, and, you know, Luke Shen's name came up and we kind of went, nah, maybe I guess, but that's been a really good fit. The Giordano and Hall pairing it just feels like the guys that are going to go out and block shots and they're going to block a hundred. And I'm not a big Justin Hall guy. I'm actually kind of surprised that he's lasted the entire series to this point in the lineup, but you're right. The, the, the pairing that we were expecting to be kind of that shutdown pair in McCabe and Brody has really, frankly, they've struggled. And, and I don't know if it's just the matchup because let's face it. If we look at other series compared to, this series here. This is a slow series. When you watch Seattle and Colorado, or you watch um, Edmonton and LA, like those series have some pace to them. But this series has been kind of slow. So you think if you're looking forward and the Leafs can hopefully get past the Lightning here, they're going to go up against the Bruins team and they're not slow by any stretch of the imagination either. So the Leafs are going to maybe have to do a little bit of juggling here, but. I've just I've been really surprised that that the lack of consistency that we've seen from from Brody and McCabe in this series. We're chatting with Matt Marchese, producer of the Jeff Merrick Show and host here at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Okay, so before we brought you on, Justin and I played the audio from uh, Coach Lalonde on the panel, who said uh, shared a little bit of secrets on Vasilevsky about how that they you know they scouted him, changed their D zone structure around his play. Now, obviously, we've seen that he hasn't been the Vasilevsky of past. And you don't want to jinx it because he can certainly turn that on. But what are your thoughts on on him sharing that type of information? And if it has at all changed the way that you viewed this series and maybe how the Maple Leafs have been playing Vasilevsky? So I'll start with with Lalone's comments about Vasilevsky. Here's what I say, because I know some people were kind of up in arms about it. If you don't think that the Leafs have the same information as the Tampa <laughs> Bay Lightning, mm. the Toronto Maple Leafs who have spent oodles and oodles of money, uh, like radio money on, um, on scouting, on, on software, on, on everything, analytics, everything going. If you don't think the Leafs have that information already in their hand, then I think that that's a little bit offside. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with Derek Lalone saying that because everybody's got that information. Maybe the part where Tampa Bay changed their defensive structure because of it was something new. But I don't think that anybody was surprised that Andre Vasilevsky struggles with shots from the point with traffic. Having said all that, I think that the Leafs have done a great job in making that adjustment because they now have those guys that go to those areas. Like John Tavares kind of went to those areas and maybe you didn't really want him to go to those areas in the past, but he's thriving there. Ryan O'Reilly does the same thing. Uh, Matthew Nyes is doing the same thing. Nola Chari, like you could go down the list of guys and it's, it's much like the conversation about the physicality. 
they now have the players that are actually going out and doing this. They have players that are willing to go into the dirty areas, and it's been very, very helpful in scoring goals. When you, the totality of this series, we can look back on it and say, that was the main reason why the Leafs were able to score goals. That and and a forecheck that has been vastly improved. But in front of the net, like we, the overtime winner was scored on a tip in front of the net. Noel Achari scored on a tip. Matthew uh, Austin Matthews scored on a tip. And we could just go through the list. And some of them, Morgan Riley's overtime winner was because, well, there's a little bit of traffic in front of Andre Vasilevsky. His goal the other night, the tying goal, because there was traffic in front. That's that's playoff hockey to a T. Like you don't you don't have to paint a beautiful picture on the game sheet because guess what? They don't do that. And and I think that they've they've learned over time like we're not going to score the pretty goals all the time in the playoffs. Sure, you might get a couple. Austin Matthews first goal was a very nice goal, a great passing play. But the the majority of your goals are not going to be great. They're going to be point shots. They're going to be deflections. They're going to be scrambles in front of the net. And I think that's been kind of the evolution of this Leaf team, partly because of the players that they brought in and partly because they've finally figured out, this is how we're going to win games in the playoffs. And I think that's been absolutely massive. And they've made Andre Vasilevsky look human. Like I, I tweeted the other day, I didn't have 19 goals against Andre Vasilevsky in four games on my bingo card. I really didn't have that one. So it's just been, it's been shocking in a sense because we've seen how great Vasilevsky has been in the playoffs, especially after a loss and in elimination game. So we're going to see what happens tomorrow night. But I just think that the Leafs have done a great job in, in, kind of neutralizing Andre Vasilevsky's game and really, you know, making him think and making saves not very easy because there's traffic in front. Whereas I think that Ilya Samsonov on the other side has been really good with traffic in front of the net. And maybe it's because he's got defensemen that can clear guys out and, and Vasilevsky doesn't at this point. But I think that, you know, again, much like last year, goaltending was not really the factor that we thought it was going to be. At an individual level, it's been a pretty fascinating series uh, for the Maple Leafs. I mean, Ilya Samsonov's looked horrible and then brilliant in just a single night. Uh, Mitch Marner was leading the playoffs in scoring until Rope Hintz showed up, uh, despite, you know, maybe not being vintage Mitch. We've got little flashes of Austin Matthews taking over. Tavares at a hat trick and has kind of been a ghost for the other three games. Nylander had typical Nylander games where he goes from goat to goaded, I guess. Uh, it's been real interesting to see the ups and downs just at an individual level for this group. But if you had to circle one, who has been the MVP so far for the Maple Leafs in building a 3-1 lead? Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Like, I, and, and it could be someone I didn't mention. I mean, O'Reilly yeah. and Riley have been brilliant as well. Yeah, well, Morgan Riley, just because of the the goals that he scored, have been obviously super important. But I think I'm going to go with Ryan O'Reilly. And, and part of that is because he plays in every situation. He's killing penalties. He, You know, he's out on the first power play unit, which has which was a little bit of a surprise to me. But I get why they've done it, especially to get that another left shot out there. And And I, to me... I think just his ability to maybe kind of calm the waters here. He's been there. He's done that. We don't, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but I think the intangibles that Ryan O'Reilly brings, you know, especially his face-offs, 
how good he is in his own end, what he's been able to allow Matthew Nyes to do when they have played together because, you know, it's like, okay, kid, go do your thing. I, I've got it on the defensive end. And I think that that's been that maturity level that Ryan O'Reilly has, that cup experience, I think has been invaluable to this team. And Ryan O'Reilly did not have a great season offensively with the St. Louis Blues. That goes without saying that it was a, it was a weird year in St. Louis. He gets dealt to Toronto, you know, he breaks the finger and then we're having these conversations about, Oh, is he going to be ready for the playoffs? And Ryan O'Reilly has been more than ready seven points in four games. And those are offensive numbers that Ryan O'Reilly hasn't seen in a long time. Is it because of who he's playing with? Sure. But largely he's been playing on the third line. And, and I think that that has been, Something that goes, I think, a little bit under the radar with Sheldon Keefe's maneuvering in this series. I I thought that playing Ryan O'Reilly on the second line with John Tavares and Mitch Marner was the answer to all that ailed the Toronto Maple Leafs. And now I look at it and say, having three really good centers is a nice luxury to have. Mm -hmm. And I think the emergence of Noel Achari in not only a, a physical role, but uh, being able to be good defensively, I think has been really important. And, of course, the addition of Matthew Nyes gives you those balanced three lines. And th- and I just think that Ryan O'Reilly's been the perfect fit. Like, when we look back on whatever brings from, from these playoffs for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you can look back on it and say, Ryan O'Reilly certainly will not be the problem. Because, let's face it, in, in a lot of cases, high-priced guys are brought in or, or guys that you pay a big penny for are brought in and just don't perform. And then you look at Ryan O'Reilly's game and say, I don't think I can ask for anything else from this guy. And and he's been, he's been better than advertised, frankly. Uh, that's why Justin and I got early on the Ryan O'Reilly con Smythe yeah, trophy. Keep that, propaga- like keep that propaganda like coming. Yeah, yeah, uh, we like it. We like keep it, it a lot. <laughs> um, all right. One last one for you. Uh, two sides to this. What a win on Thursday night would mean to the Maple Leafs slash the city. And the other side, what a loss would mean as the doubt start creeping in. I'll start with the negative here because we always want to finish on a positive. Yeah, yeah, I love that. If they <laughs> if they lose, I, I think there will be a lot of nervous energy mm-hmm. in the city. I, I think that there is that doubt because you're going back to Tampa for game six. Even though they've had success there, you're going back to Tampa for game six. And then that gets really uneasy. And then you're, there's the thought of game seven in the back of your head, which listen, we know what the the history is of that. I don't need to tell you, but I think that <laughs> I don't think people will be com- go completely off the rails if they lose tomorrow night, but the nervous energy will creep in. Now, if they win, which I fully expect them to do tomorrow night, even though I had the Leafs in six. Yeah. Even if I, I had the Leafs in six in this series, I'm willing to take a loss on that and they and they win in five. That would be very good for my heart. But I, I think what it does is it now, you know, they, they don't have they don't have that monkey on their back anymore. It's gone. They can move past the first round. But I also think that just winning the first round is not is not good enough for this team for the moves that they've made for the time that they've put in with this core group. I don't think that just winning one round is enough. Like if they don't get to the Stanley cup final, I, 
I hate to be that guy, but that does feel like a bit of a disappointment. Mm-hmm. They spent a lot of draft capital to get to where they wanted to get to. They, they kept going back to the well with the core four, which, you know, as of right now, looks like it's working in Kyle Dubas's favor. And he, you know, he does look like the boy genius that everybody was talking about. But I think that what it means for this city is they're just not the butt of the joke anymore. Like they'll get past the first round and then everybody just stops. Will the, the jokes about 67 continue? Sure. But I think the jokes about not winning in the first round for like almost 20 years is, or actually 20 years is way worse. Mm-hmm. I think that that is absolutely way worse. So I, I think that it would be great for the city. Like I know, and I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but I know that people talked about how great the Raptors parade was when they won the NBA championship. If you thought that was a big parade, they're going to shut down the city for three days. If the Toronto oh, Maple Leafs win the Stanley cup, at least there will be, if they say there were 2 million people there for the Raptors parade, triple that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and I'm not exaggerating. Like you talk about a his, an historical franchise over a hundred years old with fans across the country, all over the world. I feel like I'm part of the propaganda machine, here. <laughs> but I think that it would be absolutely massive. So I, that's why I don't, I think expectations should be high for this group. Mm-hmm. They should win tomorrow night and gosh, darn it. The Leafs bring home a cup, please. Because I, I always said my daughter was born in August. It would be just fitting that I had to wait my entire <laughs> life to this point, 34 years for a Stanley cup. And she gets it in her first year because I've always said that I'm going to make her a least fan. So she has to go through what I go through. Maybe she's been the missing link. Maybe it missing must piece, be. So. It must be that hair. That's it. Okay. Well, baby steps Thursday will be a big one. Um, hopefully we get an opportunity to see uh, the first round curse broken. I appreciate you jumping on this morning, Matt. Uh, we'll listen to the Jeff Merrick show a little later. Maybe hear your voice. But I know that we got a weird lineup today just with the Blue Jays stuff so we can catch the stream. Alternatively, we'll give all the listeners a way to do that. Uh, Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me. Chat soon. That's Matt Marchese, producer of the Jeff Merrick Show and host of Sportsnet 590 Fan. Who said the hot dogs would throw you off your game? Baby steps? Brilliant. I'm glad you caught that. Sometimes I say things and I look at you and you're just like you don't catch it. I was like like applauding you. you No, you, you caught that one. But sometimes I'm like, did anyone catch that? You did. Um, as I mentioned, we got the Blue Jays on today at 1 p.m., so our layout's a little different. 1 p.m., you can catch the Blue Jays at Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590. The fan is streaming on Sportsnet.ca slash 590 and on Sportsnet app. And then right after that, Jeff Blair and Kevin Barker will have Jays talk, so you can catch our daytime programming on the alt streams or Sportsnet 360, um, including the Jeff Merrick Show. Still from one to two. So all that to come on the Fan Morning Show and our programming today. But let's do something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Not Looney Dogs. I've chewed on enough of those. But this week is the NFL draft. Kind of snuck up on us. It and has. It really it has. It really has. I hope we get a chance to talk to Charles on Friday. Just putting that out there now. It's also <clears throat> Charles. competing with the Maple Leafs game five. Like, I don't, I don't even think I'll see a second of the well, draft, Well, you might want to look at the number one overall draft pick because a Reddit post, which you can always always count on Reddit to be 100% accurate and something you should cite in all of your essays and important thesis. Bibliographies? Big-time Reddit MLA formatting. University of Kentucky quarterback Will Levis saw his odds drop from plus 4,000 to plus 600 
to go first overall in Thursday's opening round of the NFL draft because of a rumor on Reddit. So he's currently the betting favorite or in the favorites. No, 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 no. Sorry. Not the, the betting favorite. Not the betting favorite, other than obviously Bryce Young, mm-hmm. the second best. Um, because of a post by Reddit user, sale agreeable 2834. <laughs> That's who said the following. Totally valid. Who said the following? Will Levis is currently plus four thousand to be the first overall pick. Well, ladies and gentlemen, he's telling friends and family Carolina will in fact take him Thursday. You are welcome. So his odds dropped significantly. Of course, Bryce Young, who's a Heisman Trophy winner, twenty twenty one, remains a fa- favorite at minus two thousand. So like first mm-hmm. money pick would be Will Levis if you're looking to actually win some money at plus 600, but that's a significant drop. So can you trust Reddit? It'd be kind of silly not to. Look, look what it, sales agreeable? What was it? Um, this man's name or this Reddit user's name is sale agreeable 2834. He, he's a legend, assuming it's a it's a man. They are a legend if they... If they nail if this. If they nail this, honestly, because if people jumped on 40 to one, Will Levis number one, uh, a lot of profiting happening. But yeah, it seems <laughs> like because... I mean, it did move, but Bryce Young is still what ten or minus yeah, ten thousand or two thousand to be chosen first overall. So you can't even take that information and then go to what's actually valid, probably, and even bet on Bryce Young to make any money. It still seems like Bryce Young's going first overall. I was I'm a CJ Stroud guy. I don't know what happened it's to him. Been and he's quiet like, around what, he's him, a third eh? best quarterback, maybe fourth best quarterback now. What happened to CJ? Anyway, more to come this week. We get the the NFL draft happening. Um Thursday will begin that, but we got lots of competitive viewing opportunities that night. Uh, John Morosi is going to join us on the other side of the break. He's back from Paris. Let's get right back in the MLB chat with him. Uh, see where the Blue Jays are ranking in a you know first first month of the season. We've got some highs and some lows. Let's break it all down with John Morosi on the other side of the break. The best Blue Jays show out there. Period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. It's been a while. Bonjour, Monsieur Jean Morosi. Très bien trip to Paris, question mark. How's it going? Je suis très heureux d'être ici avec vous. Uh, the, thank you very much. I, I probably should probably should quit while I'm ahead, if, if I would even call it that, uh, in speaking my French now. But uh, I really appreciate it. We had a great time. Uh, my, my daughters just loved being in Europe. We went to Stamford Bridge, watched Chelsea play, which is pretty oh, special. So we, we blended in a little bit of sports uh, in, in, into our uh, into our time there. I, I did. Uh, Every morning, I would there was a little uh, a little newsstand in the neighborhood where we stayed in, in Paris. I would walk over there and, and buy l'équipe and uh, and read it in the morning. So I, I I will say this: the notion of there still being an imprint national daily sports newspaper in France, huge points there. Like that that is that is my dream right there as an old print guy. Yeah, I think if I could just like be a completely, I don't know if you got this, but if I could be a completely different person, I think I would just be transported to Europe 
be just a soccer fan reading that newspaper at a pub every day. Like they, they do sports right over there. I mean, it's a little different than what we're dealing with. And you guys south of the border do states are a sports right too. Uh, but it's a little different vibe over there in Europe. And it's a lot yeah, of fun. It, I hope you enjoyed the match. Cause I was at Stanford bridge, actually uh, at the second game that Chelsea played this season as well. Nice. No, I, well, what a, what an awesome venue, the history there. I, I loved walking along the shed end and seeing all the, all the legends who were, who were honored there. And, and I'll say this, talking about places that, that understand their sports history and, and celebrate it, I, I, I really, I'll, I'll tread carefully. I, I, I suppose I can say this as someone who lives on this side of the border, but we are, we are one win away on each side from a sports week for the ages next week in Boston. I'll be there for, for Jay's Red Sox at Fenway. But there, there may be a different sports competition between a Toronto team and a Boston team a couple T-stops away if things cooperate the next couple of days. So that would be an epic sports week in one place. Four games, four games, Jays, Red Sox. Now, we're, we're trying not to get ahead of ourselves, but, like, I'm surprised we haven't, you know, circled that as a possibility yet because oh we're, we're, we we're waiting. Get down there. You, you probably understand, John. we got to wait till we get that fourth victory here to I, even I, think I about second round, but that <laughs> is going to be. I, I, I know. But, see, see, on the opposite side, though, and here's where the psychology of all this comes into play. I still think in the back of my mind there's somewhere there a, a, an 11-year-old Wings fan who is devastated by Game 7 at the Joe Leafs Wings all those years ago. So I, I've got that in the back of my mind. So it, in, in my mind, the Leafs are always great in the clutch, and everything's going to work out just fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh. <laughs> we might have to go back to a different generation for that to be true, unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know... The thing about generations, there's the next one. Uh, so we shall see what happens. That would be awesome. I mean, the Boston-Toronto rivalry is, is the best. It would be great to see that again uh, on both sides um, with the Blue Jays and the Maple Leafs. Okay, let's go to the Toronto Blue Jays. We're playing catch-up a little bit because the Leafs have been the major, major focus for us. Nick Nurse got fired at the end of last week. There's been a lot of things going on. And for the Blue Jays, what's been going on is an improved starting rotation. Seven trips, right. or not seven trips, seven straight trips to the mound, I suppose. Trips works to the mound for the uh, for the Blue Jays has wound up being very, very profitable with quality starts. Barrios has two of them. Things have changed a little bit, at least optically, with the starting rotation. What are you seeing for the group uh, that has uh, sort of led them through a difficult road trip and now has them on the verge of sweeping the Chicago White Sox? Um, my, my assessment is exactly that, about where the, where the rotation is. And at the risk of making too sweeping of a statement in the final days of April, uh, I will say this, that if Berrios keeps pitching like this, and if Kikuchi is able to, to maintain what's been a really consistent April uh, into the rest of the season, and certainly a big start for him today, this team's making the playoffs at the very least. And I, I think that we all, we all realize the Jays' expectations are a lot higher than that. But the, the Rays are off to this historic pace, and the Orioles are playing great baseball, too. And so there's a lot to worry about, and we haven't even mentioned the Yankees yet. You've got every team in this division, as of yesterday, was, was at 500 or better. So it is a historically difficult division. And despite all of that, when I look at the Jays and I see the way that Kikuchi is pitched and, and Berrios finding some more consistency, th those are the two key players for me in terms of looking at where this team is going, big picture, 
long term. I think the lineup has, has, has been there and will be there. But those are the two key guys I look to as the bellwethers for this entire organization. Before we get into that Yankees talk, because we gotta we got to get down to Vladdy versus the Yankees, I yes. just want to ask you about Alec Manoa and, and the first couple starts. And, you know, it was puzzling to us on, on what was going on. He obviously delivered in a big moment at Yankee Stadium against his best friend, Garrett Cole, on the mound, which was right. a, a very fun showing. Um, but I, I feel like we're tentatively saying he's back. We saw the Alec Manoa we, we wanted to see. But any thoughts on, on why he was underperforming for the first couple starts? I think for me, it was all about the slider just not not being there. And and he is someone that obviously, when it's right, is one of the best sliders in the game. And he just wasn't really able to to get it to behave. <laughs> and I think as a result, uh, it just took him a while in the month of April to to get himself uh, on track. But I think once once the slider showed up, and it did over the weekend against the Yankees. Then it becomes a much he becomes a much different pitcher, and, and I, I do love that it was the big stage against the Yankees mm-hmm. that really brought out the best in him and Cole and everything that's been said back and forth. I, I love that about Alec that that the big stage doesn't scare him, and in fact it makes him better. And, and so I look at the the balance of this season and the five months ahead. As long as his slider is able to be as consistent uh, as as we saw it last time out, he is going to be just fine. And in fact, he'll be up to his All Star level of performance uh, yet again. So I and I think for him, you know, it was it was a unique spring. I think coming off of all the innings he threw last year, arriving as a legitimate superstar, I think, in this sport. And I think that that status can sometimes take a little getting used to as you begin a new season. And the slider just wasn't there. Now it is. And as long as it's there, I have zero worries about Alec Manoa. Uh, just like Ailish on Looney Dog Night, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. backed up his words uh, last weekend. Um going into Yankee Stadium, doubling down on his comments about never wanting to play for that franchise and then just being an absolute tormenting force at the dish. Do we know why Vladdy is so anti-Yankee? And, like, is this a good thing that he's got this chip on his shoulder, he wants to beat the Yankees more than anything? I mean, it's like music to our ears, right? Like, we're all over that stuff. We eat it up. Uh, but it is an interesting little uh, beef that's developed between uh, the star player for the Blue Jays and an organization that's always been the ultimate foil. Right, and I love it. I do love it. You know, certainly Vladdy has grown up in the game, and so he knows he knows about the Yankees as an opponent. Uh, his dad played against them in in a number of postseason series, uh, so that, I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. So when he was a very impressionable age. He saw his dad going up against uh, the Yankees in actually multiple playoff series, and I think that has a way of of etching something in uh, in your mind. I also think that the Yankees, whether fairly or not, have this reputation as being more of this staid organization and, and very tradition bound, and and the policy on facial hair, et cetera. Um, and I think Vlad likes to likes to have fun, likes to. Uh, sort of write his own rules of this generation, and if if he doesn't feel like it's it's his identity to conform to the Yankee way at some point, then then I I love what he's saying. I think it's great that he's taking uh, ownership of of the team that he's got and pride in his team, and and really putting it out there in public that that I'm I'm totally comfortable and love being the villain, and, and one never knows what. 
you know, what he might have, might have heard from a Yankee fan at some point in time in the ballpark that may have also shaped his his opinion. But I know this, he's had a lot of big days at Yankee Stadium. Last year, remember, uh, early on in the season, the multi-homer game, and then, of course, over the weekend as well. So if, if you see one of the best players in the sport in Vladdy, really embracing the villain role in a series that happens multiple times a year and may well happen at some point in October, that's great for baseball. And I'm, I am certainly, as a fan, just excited to see that. Great for baseball, great for our rivalry, and uh, we always love to see Vladdy get himself out there in the media and, and you know, gives us good content here as well. Um, we saw Nate Pearson yesterday make his uh, you know, second or third or fourth trip up to the big leagues here with the Blue Jays, one that we've we've been anxiously anticipating. Hopefully he's here for a little while. Um, now as a bullpen guy, and I think that he's gone through a little bit mentally and physically, clearly over his journey here to the big leagues. Um, I guess expectations have changed, and maybe that's for the best, right? A little bit less pressure on him to be stretched out to be a starter. He seems like he's going to come in there, maybe be uh, a guy that hits 99. He did it last night in one inning. Um, expectations for Nate and uh, maybe just the opportunity to kind of come in in a sheltered role and, and get his, his feet under him. Right. That's a very good point, Ailish. And I think that John Schneider deserves a lot of credit for the circumstances in which he brought him in last night. Obviously, it was a, a game in which the Jays were leading comfortably and still one that they had to win, wanted to win, but put him in there in the eighth inning after Barrios was magnificent to begin the game and then just see what you've got. And to your point, the numbers that stand out to me the most, 99, as you mentioned, the velocity he hit, and zero, which is the number of batters he walked. That's that, those are the numbers that I'm watching. Is he having consistent outings? And by all accounts, with with, with his body, I think in better in better shape and in better harmony, he's able to deliver the ball more consistently in a repeatable way, and that will translate to fewer walks, probably more strikeouts. The stuff is still there, and I think also there are some pitchers who, in their in their time, you know, Andrew Miller comes to mind. I think that there may be a comparison to make there that Andrew struggled at times to locate the ball, uh, would would sometimes fall short of expectations as a starter. Uh, he was an early round pick, you know, top really top prospect in the industry, and he, it took him years to really find his way as a reliever. And I, I see the same thing potentially unfolding for Nate, and I think, I think right now any Jays fan would sign up uh, with an exclamation point if, if Nate's going to have Andrew's career or something like it. But I think that's totally within the realm of possibility. He clearly still has the talent. And, and Ailish, for me, when you look at some relievers, when they've stared at the, the 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 lonely end of their of their career or or into the abyss of what might happen if if they continue to perform in a certain way and then come back from that, all of a sudden, second and third and one out in the eighth inning doesn't seem quite as scary anymore. And I think that Nate Pearson is at that at that point in his career where he he knows how to discard the things that uh, that aren't productive and and take a real swagger to the mound and still realize that hey when I'm out here I'm as good as anybody and last night again it was it wasn't against a team that's playing that great right now in Chicago it was in a low leverage situation but let's keep checking back on this because I, I think if things trend in this direction we might see him as a really good multi-inning bridge guy for this Jays bullpen uh, over the rest of the season. Uh, it's way too early to talk deadline, even too early to like circle 
obvious trade deadline needs if we're going to get to that position. I mean, we're still, you know, we're less than a month in and there's a lot of things that have to be sorted out, uh, namely whether the Blue Jays are going to be a competitive team for sure and go into the playoffs in a really competitive division. But things are starting to calcify. I mean, this starting rotation looks like it doesn't have that obvious glaring hole with Barrios and Kikuchi stepping up. Pearson in the bullpen, like if he can be that guy, it maybe scratches off a need back there as well. Whit Merrifield looks like he's stepping into everyday sort of function for the Blue Jays uh, and maybe beating out his internal competition. So when you look at the Blue Jays, like what is the obvious thing that may need to be addressed if you can even circle that so early in the season? Sure, I think at some point you might get uh, another lefty bat, and obviously we'll see if, if Belt really gets going. I think he's going to need some time uh, just to get acclimated, I still think, uh, to, to the role, to the to the American League East, to the organization. And so I don't think there's much of a need to, to make a, a quick move there. But I, I agree about second base, and, and it's amazing to think you had Espinal, who was an all-star last year, but I think Merrifield's outplayed him. Obviously, Kevin had a big game over the weekend, too. So there's there's a lot to like with this current staff or current collection of position players. And then you look at the pitching staff, and, and you're right. I think if, if they remain healthy, you've got a really nice rotation. And then maybe you add a reliever. You can always add a reliever. But the, the good news for the Jays, to me, is that I, I'm not seeing a, a real need, Justin, for this team to, to make a dramatic reshaping of their of their roster at, at the deadline. I think Varsho, again, will, will maybe need some time to get fully adjusted, but I, I, I like his lefty bat. I like his athleticism. I'm a, I'm a big believer in him and the present and also in the future. So I think that the everyday club looks good to me. And, you know, again, maybe you layer in a bit more of a lefty bat depending on how Belt's production goes, but that's something that you can do. You don't have to worry about giving up Tiedemann to get uh, a solid lefty bat uh, to help you through the, 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 the final months of the season and, and into the playoffs. So I think what their needs are are certainly manageable. And, and I'll reiterate, I like if, if Kikuchi keeps pitching like this, and we'll see another, another big one here coming up, but that, that answers a ton of questions for the Jays if, if you say remains in this form and it looks like he's as comfortable as he's been, certainly in the Jays uniform and, and maybe in, in the major leagues overall. Uh, last one for you here, John, before we let you go, uh, a little bit league-wide. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles and the Pittsburgh Pirates are both 8-2 yes. and two in their last 10 games, both having pretty much uh, similar April here bursts. Which team's more legit? Or are they both scary? They're both scary. I think Baltimore, uh, sadly for Jays fans, might be a bit more a bit more legit uh, just with with the way they're playing and just the strength of their team up the middle. I, I checked in yesterday with with an Orioles exec and said, "What's what's working?" And the answer came back that basically it's it's the way that we are constructed up the middle. You've got Mullins, who's a, a top stolen base guy, Mateo, who's one of the best offensive shortstops in the sport, also a big stolen base guy, and you've got someone that's got a chance to be one of the great catchers uh, of his generation behind the plate in Rutschman. And then the rotation has been good. Uh, it's, it's not really one that's, that's as stacked or as famous as what the Jays have, but I love their bullpen. Felix Bautista has been really good. And then I don't know if you saw Yanir Cano, 20 up and 20 down to begin the season and as, as one of their setup guys. And he came in and closed out a one-run win over Boston on Monday and looked like Lee Smith. Uh, unreal uh, is tough. So uh, I, I really credit 
Baltimore. I think Mike Elias is an excellent GM. Brandon Hyde is an excellent manager. They, they, they are really well structured. This, this division is going to be so much fun to watch. I know uh, I can say on that as a, as a neutral national observer, but uh, for, for, the, for the Jays, I realize it's going to be some tough games, but if you're a fan of great baseball and just really good competition, it's kind of like the Atlantic Division in hockey. There's, just, there's not, not a lot of easy nights, and, and right now it's, it's exactly that in the American League East. So I, I do think between the two Alish, uh, that Baltimore's got a bit more staying power, and I think they're going to be a really compelling team for the Jays to face all season long. Well, John, I hope the next time we talk, we're teeing up uh, a lot of Toronto-Boston rivalry coming yes. up soon, all right? Uh, that's uh, that's the plan. We'll see how it fares. I appreciate you joining us again this morning. I'm glad that you had a great trip to Paris, and uh, we will chat next week. Sounds great. Looking forward to it. I will hope that I can attend both a morning skate and a Major League Baseball game on the same day. That'd be kind of a very morose thing to That'd do. Awesome. So I will let you know if I can endeavor to do that. And then you can be our insider for both the NHL and the Love NBA. Love it. Okay? Yes. Okay, perfect. Now, now that's my dream. Thank <laughs> okay. you, Ailish, Justin. We'll I appreciate chat it. next Thank week. You. Thanks, John. <laughs> Sounds great. All the best. That's John Morosi, MLB Network Insider. Um, that would be a pretty, pretty big week in Toronto sports. You go head-to-head with... The Bruins, maybe, and the Red Sox. That would be quite the week. Very, very exciting. But again, we can baby we steps, we folks. Baby steps. Uh, just quickly, I think the most encouraging thing about the Blue Jays season right now is that the shopping list seems and appears to be light. Because if you're a team, you know this is baseball is trending this way. Like it's the trade deadline's aggressive and fun now. It used to be it didn't seem like anything really happened, but now it seems like it's a big deal. You have to be involved if you're a true contender. And it just feels like the Blue Jays coming in, I was like, man, they're going to have to do a lot. They're going to have to go a couple arms, maybe a, maybe a, uh, a starter, maybe a lefty bat. Now I'm looking at it, lefty bat, one arm in the bullpen? Maybe? Maybe that's all you need? Well, Blue Jays uh, looking like they've got uh, a nice opportunity today, 1 p.m., to get a series sweep against the White Sox. Then they get a day off before they face familiar faces and tortured pass against the Seattle Mariners. That's this weekend. Uh, we'll tee all that up tomorrow. You've got Jays 1 p.m. 107 first pitch today with Kikuchi on the mound. Uh, more to come. We've got Shayna Goldman on the other side of the break. We'll do an NHL look around at how the first round is faring. And then we'll talk to Ed Belfort at 8.30. Hall of Famer and Stanley Cup champion. He was in the net the last time the Leafs won a series. Let's see what that feeling is like. That's all next on the Fan Morning Show.